0: I love his presence, don't you? Amen. If you're close to somebody, turn around and tell him I love his presence.
1: Just tell him I
0: love his presence. Um, I want to say how great it is to be here and to be in the presence of the Lord with you. And uh, tomorrow I'll leave and go back home and it'll be 20 degrees and there'll be snow on the ground. So... Let's pray for me, please. And uh, But I get to go home and see my babies and my wife, which I'm very excited about. And uh, But I love being here with you. I love being with Pastor Lyle and with Pastor Chris and with our family here in Coral Springs. And uh, The Lord is doing a great work in the earth. And I don't want God to do anything without me. I said, I don't want God to do anything without me. I don't want God to move. I don't want to miss being a part of what God is doing. And, um, you know, when we come into the presence of the Lord, I'll share this and then I want to get in the word. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter nine. Uh, A few months ago, I really Holy Spirit really began to center me and reset me in. The simplicity of his presence and the simplicity of the gospel. And uh, I was sitting with a man this week, just yesterday, who pastors a church in Georgia of over 14,000 people. Uh, I visited the church one time. Their church, not the city, not the convention center, their church is a parking garage. Uh, and I thought to myself, what in the world am I walking into? This is, this is massive. This is huge. And so I was sitting at lunch with him, and my father was with me, and, and he said these words, and it was just so powerful hearing from a man who pastors and has grown a church from whatever it was when he took it to now close to 14,000 people, say that there is no church growth strategy Like preaching the gospel and lifting up Jesus. And a few months ago, I just became burdened with the idea and the understanding, the revelation, that the way into the presence of God was opened by the death of Jesus. And we, uh, I am Pentecostal to my core. I believe in the laying on of hands. I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in the gifts of the spirit. I'm charismatic to my core. I believe in the gifts of healing and the gifts of miracles and the gift of prophecy. But I think uh, we get really Pentecostal, so Pentecostal that we forget it is the pierced body of Jesus that opened up the way into his presence. And so what I found myself doing, uh, the Bible said in the book of Hebrews, that it's through the pierced veil that we now enter into The presence of the Lord. The pierced veil represented his flesh when they pierced his side. And so I've gotten into the habit that anytime I'm coming before the Lord, the very first thing I do is thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the pierced body of Jesus that made a way for me to come into the presence of the Lord. I am a firm believer that whenever I am in his presence, I am changed on a DNA level. I am changed on a DNA level because the scripture said, let us make man in our own image. And when I come into his presence, I'm in the presence of the one who created me. And I was never, made. you can look back at your past. You can look at what you came from. I don't know everybody's story in this room. You were never created to be. Whatever you were before him. God did not create you and say their destiny is to be a drug addict. Or their destiny is to be a prostitute. Or their destiny. Nobody out there. God never looked at anybody and said this is their destiny. He created you to be with him. He created me to be with him. And so when I come into his presence, I am the most like I was created to be. And so I love his presence tonight. And in the process of all of that, can I just get a little bit more volume in the, with, on the microphone? Uh, my voice is doing what it does when I preach a lot. Um, in the process of that revelation, I've come to understand that there is a responsibility that you and I have in the story of God. If you believe it, say amen. amen. You and I have a responsibility In the story of God, Uh, God did not save me from something. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God did not save me from something, He saved me for something. He didn't just save me from, He saved me for. And go to Matthew, you're in Matthew 9, at least you should be if you have your Bible. Go to verse 35. I want to talk to you tonight about the harvest. And this is something that I've been preaching to our church in Columbus. Um, I don't like to preach the same thing twice But when the Holy Spirit burdens me with something uh, And especially I feel different about that when I'm at a potter's house Because we're one family And so if part of the family haven't heard it Then I need to speak it Uh, And so I want to talk to you for a moment about the harvest And I want to take some time at the end to pray uh, for the harvest But go to verse 35 and this is what it said Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore. Pray, the Lord of the harvest. To send out laborers into his harvest. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, as we crack open your word tonight, that you would speak to us. And Lord, that you would uh, embolden us and that we would receive grace to follow your lead. In the name of Jesus, we pray and everyone said amen. 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 And amen. Uh, What we find here, first and foremost, is Jesus and his ministry. Being laid out before us, Jesus had a blueprint for ministry everywhere he went. When you look at the scriptures, when you when you look at the story of Jesus and his life, he had a blueprint of ministry everywhere he went. It was threefold. Everybody say threefold. threefold. It was a threefold ministry. Number one, Jesus. Went. So I'm going to talk about this first because it's not in my notes. Uh, So this is not one of the threefold, but it's important to understand about Jesus everywhere he went. He went. He said, I will not go unless my father sends me. And whatever I see the father doing, I do. So Jesus comes Onto the earth, and he goes. Now, I don't have time to dive into the fivefold ministry, but one of the anointings of the fivefold ministry, the apostle, is to send. And so, Jesus was walking in the anointing of the apostle when he went, and he went always. Jesus would go always to the least, to the last, and to the lost. There was never a time that Jesus preferred to go to the rulers of the city before he preferred to go to the outcast. And I think in our day and time, we are watching and I don't don't, uh, social media is huge up in Columbus. I don't know what it is down here, how it is for you. But in Columbus, it is absolutely ridiculous. But one of the things that I'm recognizing in church culture is there's this thing called celebrity Christianity and celebrity pastors and they would rather be with the rich and famous than to be with the outcast and one of the things that i recognize about jesus and his heart is that if you will get a heart for the people nobody wants god will send you the people everybody wants if you get a heart for people that nobody cares about God will send you the people that everybody cares about. And we've got that all wrong. We try to get the people everybody cares about thinking that then we'll go get the people nobody cares about. But Jesus never preferred to go into a synagogue or to go into a palace or to go stand before Pilate before he preferred to go and stand before the outcast. So one of the parts of Jesus' ministry that is encompassing all of them is that he went. And the first thing he did when he went is that he taught everybody say taught he was a teacher this is a ministry that is also given to us teaching is a vital part of discipleship how many of you recognize the scripture said in matthew 28 that we are called to go and make disciples to go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father of the son and of the holy spirit Teaching them, this is so important to understanding discipleship, teaching them to obey that which I have commanded you. Can I preach like I'm in Columbus tonight? Is that all right? If I do, don't be offended at me. I'm just going to say what the Spirit says. And, and, and I think we have come to a place that we are seeing the church make converts. And not disciples They pray a sinner's prayer They confess in their heart And they believe Great, they're going to heaven But what are they doing On earth To get other people into heaven Jesus did not say Go and make converts He said go and make disciples Go and make disciples And, and so Teaching them We are called If we're going to win the harvest And we're going to talk about them in a minute but if we're going to win the harvest to the Lord, I am a firm believer that God will not trust you with a harvest you are not prepared for. If you are not ready to disciple the lost and disciple the least and disciple the, the least likely and, and the lost and the broken, God will not send them to you because he cares that much about them. Yep. One of the problems we face in our day is that there is a general lack of patience with the process of other people. I'm convinced. I've watched friends. I've watched people come into our church. And and they pray the sinner's prayer. And they get into our mentorship. And discipleship program. And, and they mess up. And they fall back into old lifestyles. And people come to me. And immediately want to write them off. And, and you don't understand. Discipleship is a process. Of discipline. It's a process. Of crucifying the flesh. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to them, If any man does not deny himself, he cannot be my disciple. And so there comes a point in time in your maturation and in your maturing unto Christ that you have to get over the things that you've always struggled with. You have to get victory over the sin that besets you. That's a part of it. But in the beginning stages, there has to be a level... Of patience with people who get saved and two months later still struggle with sin. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't just immediately get saved and all of a sudden all my cravings and urges to sin went away. Maybe that was your story. God bless you. That wasn't my story. I, I didn't have this overwhelming desire to not sin. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so I had to be connected to people who would teach me to obey what he commanded. You with me so far? Okay. So the first thing he did is he taught. Number two, Jesus preached. There is a difference between teaching and preaching. And it's not that one is proclaimed louder than the other. (laughs) That's not the difference, right? Teaching is unto learning and unto dis- discipleship and discipline. Preaching is unto showing the power of God, right? Preaching breaks yokes when it is anointed. Because they anoint, just because somebody screams doesn't mean they're anointed. Amen. Yes? Amen. And, and, and I've heard a lot of people scream. And it's like, could you please sit down? i creating my nervous system. And I've also heard people scream that are very anointed. And God begins to move. Here's what preaching and teaching have in common. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 2. It is not with the words of men. But it is the power of God. And the demonstration of the spirit that you would believe. It is demonstration both in teaching and preaching. And and so Jesus came and taught. Which means he sat down and he broke bread. And he helped them understand. But he also Preached. He proclaimed it wasn't necessarily about them getting it. It was about him proclaiming it and letting the word do the work. The scripture said that the seed works by itself and the seed is the word. And so there are days, and I'm sure Pastor Lyle and Pastor Chris can attest to this, that I stand in my pulpit in Columbus and I feel like I've got a machine gun with seed in it and I'm just spraying seed everywhere. And I'm just wondering when I walk off the platform, I wonder, did anybody get what I was saying? Did anybody understand? And I have to trust that the seed of the word does the work. Then there are times that I take the seed and it's like I'm walking through our pews intentionally putting seed in people's hands and saying, I know what I've done today. I know who received. And Jesus went preaching the kingdom. So the kingdom is very different than what we are generally raised and taught in. I remember when I received this revelation of the kingdom, it it absolutely revolutionized my life. Revolutionized my life. That, That God's kingdom, he has invited me to be a part of his kingdom. And part of his kingdom is he gave me the Holy Spirit. And he said in Luke 17, they will not say the kingdom is here or there, for the kingdom is where? Within you. Okay, let me walk you through some scripture. Psalm 145 and 13. We start in the Old Testament. Thy kingdom is an everlasting. Everybody say everlasting. Everlasting. And your dominion, say dominion, Dominion. endorsed throughout all generations. So I'm going to break this down for you in the Hebrew. The word kingdom here means an empire or a realm. For example, the area or people ruled under by a monarchy form of government. The word everlasting is an unlimited duration of time. The word dominion is power. For example, the rulership and governing of a government or a supreme body. Part of understanding the kingdom is understanding its longevity and the scope of its supreme governing. Can someone tell me if there is any area on the earth that God's kingdom does not cover You can't. So if there's no area where God's kingdom doesn't cover, that means there is no area where he doesn't reign. And the thing about a king is that if he reigns in an area, then it's his constitution, his law, and his governing that rules. So when we're in a a church setting like this, and we're saying your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is is your constitution come, the word, your will, the word be done, your law be enacted, which means to me that anytime there's a sickness present and the kingdom comes, that sickness has to bow to the law of God. Whenever there's a marriage that needs mended and it gets in contact with the kingdom, that marriage has to be mended because the will of God and the law of God says He makes all things whole. And so... David starts with this Old Testament revelation. His kingdom is over all, and his kingdom is forever. So wherever I go, his kingdom is there. And he, he, he adopted me into his family. He calls me son. And sons have the revelation of the father, and they have the authority of the father. Which means, I'm going to tell you this at the end, but that means in the kingdom, I have authority over unclean spirits. And I have authority over darkness. You know, Monday, I'm going to go home tomorrow. I'm going to go to church this weekend. And Monday, I'm adopting my son. I'm going to go to court on the computer. And we're going to finally adopt our son after two and a half years. And... My boy will never know the life he could have had had I not adopted him. Had our family not adopted him. He'll never know what could have been because we stepped in and said we'll take him. I know I know what his life could have been. I know what he could have been trapped in and what he could have been raised in. He'll know one day but right now, all he knows is I'm in a family that loves me.
1: Amen.
0: I'm in a family that cares for me. And as as a, in the spirit realm, I we were orphans. This is what the Bible said. I'm not telling you something. The Bible the Bible said we were orphans. We were alienated from God, alienated from the things of God. But Christ came and we have received the adoptions of son, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So in the kingdom, I'm not a servant. I'm not a slave. I'm not one of the, I'm I'm not a pawn in the hand of God. I'm a son. That's my identity. And you know what sons do? You know what my son will never, ever have to do? My son will never have to fight for my affection. My son will never have to fight to prove himself to me. He's my son, and I love him. There's nothing he can do to change that, and that is the exact same way that God sees you and me. There's nothing I can do to gain more affection from God. There's nothing I could do to earn more affection from him. I'm loved because he has seen me, and when he sees me, he sees Jesus and the blood that he shed for me, and he calls me son. And he calls you son and you daughter. So Jesus is talking about this kingdom and 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 he continues in the New Testament. And he says this to to help you understand the kingdom of God is fully realized in the person, life and teaching of Jesus. Matthew, chapter six and ten, Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done where on earth as it is in heaven. As it is the will of God. Is to have a place on earth that looks like heaven. Let me ask you a question. Is there any sickness in heaven? No. No. Is there any disease in heaven? No. Is there pain in heaven? No. It is God's desire to bring heaven into the earth. And to use me and you to do that. It, it, it is preparing the earth for the return of the Lord. I'm taking my liberty tonight. Is that all right? Yes. Mm-hmm. We're going to go down a few rabbit trails here. Back home, they'd be looking at me like, where are you going? I like being here.
1: Because
0: <laughs> you guys don't have to listen to me every single week. get sick of me. The word apostle in, in the Greek is the word apostolos. And it was a naval term back in the first century. So they would get on a ship and the apostle was an admiral of a fleet of ships. And this is what they would do. They would take these fleet of ships and they would go to this land that was either uh, inhabited by people or that was not discovered yet. And when they would get there, they would take the land over. And they would remove the inhabitants or they would just take over the inhabitants of that place. Or they would just go onto the land that wasn't inhabited. And they would begin to set up a city. Here was the goal of the Apostolos. The goal of the Apostle was to create in the new land. The culture, constitution, and law of the homeland. So that when the king came to visit. It felt like home. It. Is the mission of Jesus' bride. That wherever we go and take territory from the devil. Whatever city we are in. That we are setting up the law and the constitution of heaven. So that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to a place that feels like home. When he comes into a city, it feels like home. That he's not coming into a strange place. And so it should be our heart that wherever we go, the kingdom of God comes. That wherever we go, Jesus becomes present, and that He could come and reign in our city. Doesn't mean the sin goes away. Doesn't mean the hardships and trials go away. But it mean that means that heaven has broken forth into the earth. So Jesus preached it. He told us also in Matthew sixteen thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. In Mark chapter one, uh, I love the gospels. I love the word of God. Does anybody love the word of God? I love the word of God. In Mark chapter one, see Matthew starts uh, 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 Jesus' life with his genealogy. He goes all the way back to Adam. Uh, uh, Luke starts his life with Mary and, and, and the angel coming to Mary. John, I love the book of John, but that's not where I'm going right now. John goes way back even before creation. And he said, in the beginning was the word before there was anything created, there was the word. But Mark starts Jesus life at the beginning of his ministry and at the beginning of his ministry, Mark and really what scholars believe is that Mark was 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 taking the account of Peter. Peter was telling Mark the stories of being with Jesus. So you'll read things in Mark like immediately, immediately, immediately. And what they believe is that while Peter was telling these stories to Mark, he was frantic. He was was telling these stories. They were so excited. Jesus spit in the mud and made clay and rubbed it on his eyes, and immediately the man began to see. And then immediately we went to the next city, and Jesus did this. And then immediately they believed there was a franticness. And the scripture said in Mark 1 that Jesus came into the city and he immediately began to preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his first message to the people. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then what happened in verse 22? He walks up into the synagogue where there's a demon-possessed man. Commands the demon to come out. And the synagogue leaders who knew the law, but didn't know the law. They knew the word, but they didn't know the word. They knew how to teach, but they didn't know the one they were teaching about. Jesus walks in, casts a demon out, and they look at each other and say, who is this man that teaches with such authority that the demons would obey him? Because he was coming and he was announcing to them, there is a kingdom at hand that is going to unseat all of you scribes and Pharisees who love your high places. There's a new sheriff in town. And it's the kingdom. And then Jesus, I told you a minute ago, but then Jesus in Luke 17 looks at his disciples and says, one day... They'll try to say the kingdom is here and there, but I'm telling you the kingdom is in you. How is the kingdom in me? In Acts chapter 2, Jesus said the Holy Spirit, and he baptized the disciples in the Holy Spirit. And with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and they went about doing good and healing and miracles and signs and wonders, followed them. Signs, wonders, and miracles were the manifestation that the kingdom had come. The manifestation of the kingdom would come. That's the third part of Jesus' ministry, if you're taking notes. The first is that he taught. The second is that he preached. The third is that he healed. Matthew 9, we see he healed all their diseases. When the kingdom comes, the manifestation of healing happens. When the kingdom comes nigh to a group. In Matthew, I believe it's chapter 11, around about there, Jesus comes. And he casts a demon out of a boy, and they want to argue with him. This man cast out demons by Beelzebub. And Jesus says to them, no, if I cast a demon out of you, the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's the manifestation. Whenever you go, whenever you go, I, just a few months ago. Uh, We were in the middle of a service, and and I didn't preach. The Holy Spirit moved, and I gave an altar call, and the altars were flooded with people. And standing right in the middle of that altar call was was a, a boy who was 17 or 18 years old who believed he was a girl. Grew his long hair out, was talking like a girl, and while the Holy Spirit was moving, he was manifesting in the altar, shaking, eyes rolling back in his head, Looking around. And I watched as good meaning Christians. Went down and tried to love out a demon. You don't love demons out of people. You cast them out. And I didn't watch as believers in my church. Who know how to cast out demons. Went and got that boy. And God delivered him. From a demon of perversion. I watched as God set a, a girl free in our altar. Who was also had demons. I watched. I I went to our young adult ministry. I preached. I began to give an altar call. I gave an altar call for, for young adults who were struggling with rejection. Six or seven of them came up. As I began to pray in the microphone, this girl right here to my right began to manifest. She dropped to the ground. She started growling. She started rolling around. I'm telling you testimonies because testimonies encourage your faith. She started rolling around on the ground and it was a demon, obviously. And I got down there, and, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And and normally, because of, this is what Jesus did, come out. I'm not going to have a conversation with you. Why do I want to talk to a demon? Come out. I have power over you. But I got down there, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, there's seven demons in her. I've never had this happen to me a day in my life. He said, there's seven demons in her. I said, okay, Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust you. I got down there, and he started telling me what they were and where they came from. And everyone that I called out, she growled with a loud voice, got tense, and then her body released as if that demon had left. Seven times. And we pr- we were in that altar for 45 minutes to an hour because I was not going to let her leave until every one of those demons were gone. And, and there's people that don't believe that. There's people that think I'm crazy for sharing that. There's people that think I am I'm out of my mind. I saw it with my own eyes. And I listened to her testimony. The last demon that came that that I cast out of her, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said it was a demon that came after her father and now is attached to her. And when I said that, she almost rolled off our platform. And when she got up, she said, she said, my dad died. And my dad died, and ever since my dad died, I just felt like I have been attacked after attack after attack in my mind. I've been seeing things. I've been hallucinating. She said to me afterwards, she said, I feel lighter than I have felt in years. And, and people say, you're crazy. No, I'm telling you, that's the kingdom of God. That's the authority that I carry and you carry as a son. And it's a part of the ministry of Jesus that he gave to us. All right, so some of you are like I thought we were talking about the harvest We are We're talking about the harvest Let me tell you something How much more real would it get for somebody For you to walk up to them with a word of knowledge According to the scripture Or, or you perceive that there is Demonic activity going on And you just begin to minister to them You don't got to call the demon out What you do You lift up Jesus you talk to him about Jesus, because demons can't stand Jesus, and that demon won't be able to hide, and somebody will be set free and saved because you lifted up Jesus. I'll never forget. I have a friend. He, he flows powerfully in evangelism. He, he uh, his whole ministry. He, he's uh, uh, the evangelism coordinator for the Assemblies of God internationally, and uh, he told me a story one time. He said, "I walked into. It. Is this okay? Yeah. It's all right." He said, I walked into a subway, and and there was an Islamic girl. There was a Muslim girl that was taking my order. And he said, I went to pay, and he said, I just felt really froggy. And I said to her, do you want to feel the power of God? And she's like,
1: yeah, sure.
0: You know, like, what are you going to say to that? (laughs) Do you want to feel the power of God? She said, yeah. So he grabbed her hand and prayed for it. Nothing happened. Said he got a sandwich, put it in his bag, started to walk out. And by the time he hit the door, she started screaming. Dropped to the floor and started screaming. And he came back over and said, what's wrong? She said, my body's on fire. My body's on fire. And just in the floor crying out, my body's on fire. The manager comes over like, what'd you do to her? And he's like, this is the power of God. It's the power of God. She was Muslim. She got saved that day. Amen. And she had to run it, she had to go back and tell her family, I experienced the power of God. God. I experienced the power of God. It's that simple, it's not complicated. How many of you have a story of God just radically setting you free? God radically It's that simple. Let me tell you about a man who changed my life. So there's the threefold ministry of Jesus. But then now we're going to get into the harvest. Is that okay? Because it's good to talk about how we do things, but if we don't talk about who we're after, then the how doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Jesus said in verse 36, the Bible said, Matthew said, rather not Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. This word moved, it's a powerful word. The the, the phrase here in the Greek, move with compassion, means to have pity, to be moved in the inward parts, or to be deeply moved. And I would say to you that what I see ultimately affects my heart. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51 said this. The prophet said, my eyes have affected my heart. My eyes have affected my heart. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. Even as a preacher, as a pastor, as a believer, I wrestle with compassion fatigue. So what does that mean? There are so many things that demand my attention. There are so many things that demand me to be compassionate and to feel deeply about. The abortion issue, I feel very deeply about that. LGBTQ people, I feel very deeply for them. Uh, Human trafficking, I feel very deeply about. But then when you add in social media and you add in the major news organizations that want to tell you what you need to feel, it's really easy to see all the bad in the world and feel like, I just can't care anymore to see things that we ought to care about and then have them just pass by and we don't feel a thing. It's called compassion fatigue. And and I believe that we have come to a moment where compassion fatigue has hit the church. And, and I have been guilty of this in my time and I'm still guilty of it because I preach passionately and I want to see LGBTQ plus people come to a, a radical encounter with Christ. Amen. And in my preaching, I oftentimes come across as angry about it. I'm not angry at them. I'm angry at an agenda that keeps on forcing junk down our kids' throats. And junk down a generation's throats and tells them. I had a 13-year-old in our church who told his dad that at his school, he's not cool unless he's gay. He's not cool unless he's gay. And that's happening in schools all over America. America. It's happening in the schools here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I get passionate about it. But you know what I came to realize? Is that person that is struggling with their identity and that is bound by demonic immorality and demonic perversion, that's a soul that Jesus died to save. And it's really easy for us to get to this place where we see LGBTQ and we see the agenda of mainstream organizations and mainstream news try to shove that down our throat and get mad about it and say they shouldn't be doing that. How could they dare do that? And the church takes up defense of, 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 of our scripture when the, the truth doesn't need to be defended. The truth doesn't need to be defended. The truth is the truth. It's like a lion. You let it out. It's going to eat lies. The truth is the truth and, and what we've what we've encountered in Columbus, I don't know about down here, but in Columbus, what I've encountered there's a lot of people with an argument. Jesus doesn't heal anymore. Jesus doesn't set people free anymore. We need to be inclusive. We need to be this. Jesus Jesus loves me just the way I am. They have an argument for everything. Does anybody know somebody who's got an argument for everything? Those people are exhausting. And you married people better not look at your husband or your wife.
1: <laughs>
0: Exhausting. Right? You get around them and you're like, can you just not be peaceable for one second? Well, let me tell you this. The person with an argument is at the mercy of somebody with an experience. You can't convince me God's not real. He's done too much for me. You can't, you can't argue me out of what I've experienced. I've watched people who can't walk get out of wheelchairs. I've seen that with my own eyes. I've seen blind eyes open. I have watched legs with my own eyes grow out from a person's body. I, I have seen people who could not feel in their fingertips because of chemotherapy. God healed them. I've seen it. And so when people come and tell me God doesn't heal, I said, go talk to them. Because I promise you God heals. I promise you he still delivers. I promise you his word says that anyone who works immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. But they can come into an encounter with Jesus Christ and have their lives completely and radically changed. And you can argue with me all you want, but I know too many people who used to live that lifestyle who God radically changed their life. And I think that as believers, we've got to take up the caring of God again. Mm-hmm. Yes. God cares for gay people. And he cares for lesbians. And he cares for transgenders. And he cares for, and he cares for whatever, they want to, whatever sex they want to call themselves that they made up. Because there's only two sexes. <laughs>
1: Amen.
0: He cares for them. He does not agree with them. That's
1: right.
0: But he cares for them. I don't agree with them but I can care for them. That's
1: right. Amen.
0: So the next time you see something you don't agree with, why don't you ask God how he feels about it? Why don't you ask him, Lord, this is your harvest. This is is your harvest. How do you feel? How do you feel about this? And you know what I've learned? As believers, we are really good at compartmentalizing sin. And we are really good at prioritizing sin. Right, So I'm going to take the sin of immorality And I'm going to put it at the top Because I don't struggle with that And because I don't struggle with it It's worse than whatever sin I struggle with When the fact of it Go read Romans 1 Just go read it on your own time Because Paul is talking about sexual immorality And homosexuality And they've given themselves over to their lusts And immediately after mentioning all of those things Paul says And they are whisperers hmm. You know what whispers means? They're gossips. They're they're gossips. And you know one of the most central places of gossip in the world? Church. The church. And so we prioritize sin. God hates homosexuality. Yeah, he hates gossip too. Amen. Hello. (laughs) God God hates perversion. Yeah. He hates backbiting too. He hates disunity. He hates lust. He hates anger. And so we we choose what we care about when the fact of the matter is God just cares. He cares about it all. And what Jesus saw in the multitudes affected his heart. He sees them and he says, I am deeply moved in my innermost being. Something in me is deeply, deeply moved. My dad and I, we were in Orlando this week. And we went, uh, you know, I get down to Florida like maybe once a year, so we stopped by Disney Springs or Downtown Disney, whatever it is, because you know you ain't gonna get a 32 year old and a 65 year old to go to no parks, I guarantee you that. <laughs> Especially the two of us that hate crowds, <laughs> you ain't getting us into a park. And so he his flight was late last night, and so we had about three hours to spare, so we went and got dinner, and then we just sat, just sat. Next, next to the water, just watched people, talked, laughed. And I remember just in my brain, in my mind, counting the amount of same-sex couples that walked by,
1: mm-hmm.
0: holding hands, being openly affectionate. And something in me has shifted. You know, it used to be that I would have said something to my dad like, can you believe this? This is just ridiculous. Man, something in me was like, man, they need Jesus. Mm-hmm. They need Jesus. And here I am. In Disney Springs. And I carry power that entire armies on earth can't compare with. Amen. The church will never, ever, 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 ever be able to compete. I'm going to use Disney because I was there. We'll never be able to compete with Disney when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. But we have something they don't we have the presence of Almighty God Amen. and money cannot change the life of a person who is in sin but the presence of God can the presence of God can so I've shifted my, pers- my my perspective is yes I don't agree it is unnatural but man God is so after them God is so after them can I share one more story with you and then I'm going to plow is that alright um, in the book of Second Kings chapter 9, we continue reading of a woman named Jezebel. Anybody heard of her? Continue reading of a woman named Jezebel. We also read of a man named Jehu. Jehu is anointed king. Jehu rides his chariot like a madman. Read your Bible. He shows up to the edge of the castle, the city, having gone through a bunch of stuff. And he looks up in Jezebel's window, and Jezebel had painted her face. She made herself beautiful to try to uh, seduce Jehu out of his calling. And Jehu lifts up his voice. He sees Jezebel in the window, and he says, who is on the Lord's side? Do you know who threw out Jezebel? It was the eunuchs in the window. Do you know who eunuchs were? Eunuchs were men who had been castrated. They had attempted to change their sex so the only thing they could do was serve Jezebel. I believe a revival is coming to the LGBTQ community. And it's not going to be the church, just the church, that throws down Jezebel. But I believe God's about to rescue people in that community, and they're going to destroy the works of the devil. I believe that wholeheartedly. I pray that every day. God, use people in the castle of Jezebel right now to just chuck her out the window. And then the church can run her over with chariots. Okay. So why why was Jesus' heart affected? And then I'm going to start closing. He saw them and they were weary. The word weary here means to collapse in tiredness. And they were scattered. It means to become dejected. They were isolated and they were dejected. If you look at our society, people are literally dying and giving up because they are weary and isolated. That to me was one of the, probably the worst part of COVID, was that it isolated people. Just cut people off from everybody. Suicide spike in my generation and under my generation. There are people that came to church in Columbus that have not been in three years. They go out of their house maybe once a week and because of fear. But they're also weary, and they're isolated. And, and Jesus saw them and said, I am so deeply moved because they have no shepherd. They have no one to care for them. They have no one to correct them. So then what is the answer to what I see. You under do you are you with me? Do you understand what I'm describing? Do you see what I'm seeing? So, what is the answer to what I see and what the Lord saw and what he sees today? It's in the following verses. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful. That word means a great deal or a great number. But the laborers, the workers, are few. This word few means small in quantity on any dimension. So the 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 harvest is great. The laborers are few. What's the answer? Therefore. Somebody say therefore. Therefore Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I would say to you that we are beyond the point where we should be asking the Lord to come back and we should start asking him why he left us here in the first place. Scripturally, we're called to groan for the return of the Lord. Right? It's a balance because there's a lot of people who want to escape what God has left them here to impact. God did not call me to just come simply preach the gospel in a microphone, in a pulpit at different churches, go home, be a dad, be a father, be a husband, and die. I, I, In my body, in my spirit, in my innermost being, I am filled with the Holy Ghost. I, I have got enough power in me to cast out demons and to see sick people be made well. Does everybody I pray for get healed? No. Why? I don't know. I'm going to ask Jesus when I go to heaven. But I've seen people healed. One is enough for me to believe. And, and, And so we have people who just pray, God, come take us away from this horrible place. No, no, no. God, use me. God, stir up in me what you put me here to do. I don't want to go to heaven and stand before God. I tell our school of ministry students this all the time. I don't want to go to heaven and stand before God and Him say, you had more to do. You had more left in you. Some people say this, and it's a good thought. It's a biblical thought. I want to finish well. I do want to finish well. But to me, finishing well is not finishing with strength. Finishing well is finishing empty. I want to finish with nothing left in the tank. I want to stand before God and have Him say, Everything I gave you, you used. Everything I put in your hand, you used. He said, The harvest is so great but those who are willing to do the work so few. You know, our vision this year is immeasurably more, and one of our key tenets to immeasurably more is to do the work. And one of the works of those who are saved is winning the lost. It's winning the lost. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. This word in the Aramaic, it means to the chief harvester. Pray to the chief harvester. What would we pray that he would send out laborers. I got a newsflash for you. Sometimes I'm just amazed at the denseness and the dumbness of the uh, disciples. You know, for all the times that they would ask Jesus, When's your kingdom going to come? When's your kingdom going to come? And he told them a thousand times, It's not for you to know <laughs> the end of days, right? Like, he told, like 15 times, no scripture. And then one more time, it was like they just had to rub salt in the wound. Jesus is getting ready to go to heaven. And, and he's risen from the grave, right? Like, why are we not talking about that more? The disciples are like, Is now when the kingdom's coming? And Jesus is like, Do I have to suffer with you for another moment? And he said, and Pray, Lord of the harvest, they even send out laborers. Newsflash. They were the laborers. You're the laborer. You know, I got into a rhythm of, of praying to God Lord send us the lost, send us the broken send us the weary send us the hurting and God convicted me I was praying by myself in the sanctuary one day I was marching around that sanctuary like I owned the joint like I was on a mission my watch was like you're not, you're not just working out you are you're going to war I'm praying God send him in and the Holy Spirit it was like he was just like shut up. I just felt so deeply in my spirit that I said, be quiet. And he said, you're asking me to send you what I'm sending you to get. And from, from that moment forward, I, I've told the Lord, you can trust us with him. And if you choose to send them by driving down the freeway, do it. Send me. Don't send them here. Send me there. And we have this really bad evangelism strategy in America. We go out and we invite people to church. The disciples never invited anybody to church. They invited people to Jesus, and then they brought them to the church. They took Jesus to them, healed them. Read the book of Acts. Healed them, set them free, worked signs and wonders. The people were added daily to the body. They were in the disciples' houses daily, breaking bread, continuing the apostles' doctrine. Acts chapter 2. And and, and, and so it's past time that we stop praying, God, send us the broken of Coral Springs. Send us the lost. No, no, no. God, send me. Send me. And this might not be everybody's cup of tea. You know, there are almost 2 million people in Columbus, just in Columbus. There's not one church in the world that can host two million people. You know, in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus walks out on the sea and he, he yells out to Peter, cast your net to the other side. And Peter's like, You're a carpenter. Leave this to us fishermen. Thank you. We've been working all night. Jesus said, cast your net to the other side. For a great catch, Peter throws a net in. So many fish jump in that their nets break and their their ship sinks. What did Peter do? He called all the other boats. He said, we've got such a catch. We need you to come take some fish. And and we get into this competing comparison, criticism of other churches. Here's the reality. There is no perfect church, number one. Nope. Number two, there is not one church that could hold the entire harvest of this city. Not one. So God, if you choose to send them here, great. But I prefer you send me. Send me. And I'll take them Jesus. And I'll disciple them. And if they join the church, great. But if they choose to go to the church down the street that's preaching the same gospel and the same doctrine and the same belief... Go to that church. If that's what you want to do, go. As long as you're in the kingdom, as long as you're living for Christ. He said, pray that God would send them out. And that the laborers would carry his heart. Romans chapter 10 and 1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So they might be saved. Paul said, I've become all things to all men that by all means, I might win some. I might win some. Then, I don't know how you guys end. You guys have music. We're to, we'll pray in a minute. I want somebody to come help me. We're going to pray. If you read the Bible in context, how many of you know that when the scriptures, the transcripts were, were written, they didn't have chapters and verses? Do you know that? It had chapters and verses. So when, when you read Matthew chapter 9 and it ends, it's not the end of a chapter. You need to just keep on reading. Because Matthew chapter 9 ends with him saying, Pray to the Lord of the harvest that send out laborers. Matthew chapter 10 starts like this And he sent them out and he gave them power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper. And he said to them, freely you have received, so therefore freely give. How many of you know, we said earlier, I, I couldn't earn it, I certainly didn't deserve it. But the gift of salvation gift of the cross was freely given to me. So why am I so stingy with the story? Why am I so stingy with the story? I challenged our church last week that they need to personally be the laborer to three to five people in seven days. I got to my hotel last night about 9.45 10 till 10 I dropped off my dad I walked in and I checked into the room got my key I'm getting ready to walk away from the counter and go up to my room tired I'm exhausted I've been up since 6.30 the day before I wanted to, get, I wanted to go in and get a shower Call my wife I take three steps away from that counter and the Holy Spirit said turn around and tell them Man, I love him. And it's a, you know, it's one of those cliche things. Like, oh, Jesus loves you. That's what I heard. I heard that so clearly in my heart. Turn around and tell that man, I love him. I walked back over and I said, this is going to be really awkward for you and for me. But I know what I'm supposed to do. And I said, I want to tell you tonight, Jesus loves you. He cares about where you are. He cares about your hurt, your pain. He loves you. He looked at me and he said, I said, Man, I really appreciate you saying that. And I thought, you know, there's not some big crescendo moment. Some of you are waiting for me and be like, I laid hands on me, fell out. <laughs> that didn't happen. I just know the Holy Ghost said, turn around and tell him I love him. He starts just opening up. I went to Douglas High School that got shot a mass shooter, a couple years ago. He said, I was there when it happened. He said, I've got friends that died. He said, I know, I know that God's with me. And God I said, I love you. And you know what? I really, I'm praying, I'm hoping that when I get back to my room tonight, he's there. Because I wanted to go in I wanted to go deep with him. I was going to set my suitcase down and sit and talk to him. And somebody walked in to check in. And he said, thank you so much, sir. turn around and start. If he's there tonight, you better bet. I'm going to say, come sit with me for a minute. I want to continue our conversation from last night. It's that easy, guys. It's that easy. I don't, I don't have to go and say... God told, you, God told me this about you and 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 I don't have to lay hands on him and spit on him and speak in tongues. It's as simple as Jesus did this for me. He, he loves you. He's madly in love with you. Amen. Stand up on your feet with me and here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray over you that a grace for evangelism and the anointing of evangelism would come upon you, the anointing to win the lost. Can we do this? Can we all come up to the altar for a minute? I'm going to move this. Can we all come up here together? Just come close. I just want to pray with you. And I want you to just lift your hands. I want to pray with him, pray for you. Father, I thank you tonight in Jesus' name. What I want you to do is if you know somebody who needs Jesus, they need to be saved, I want you to begin to call out their name in this altar right now. I want you to begin to pray for them right now. Lord, I pray, God, that you would reach them. Lord, I pray for this house, for this church, for these people. Lord, that the anointing to reach the lost and to reach and to evangelize their city would come upon them. And Lord, I pray that as they go and as they go in the power and the authority of Your Spirit, Lord, the testimonies would begin to roll in, Lord, of healing and of miracles and of people who don't know You, knowing You and don't understand Your ways and coming into
1: contact with You. Lord, I pray that we're not stingy with the story, that we are not...